Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Hey, hey, welcome to this episode of I Date Money. Today we have a very cool and awesome guest, Caitlin Carlson. She is the founder and CEO of Theory Planning Partners, a boutique wealth creation firm for the top female entrepreneurs in the United States. Before launching Theory Planning Partners, Caitlin spent the majority of her career at UBS Financial Services, Inc., where she held roles in both the Southern and Northeastern regions of the U.S., There, she developed more than 300 financial plans for clients with assets ranging from $500,000 to $1 billion. She's definitely worked with some millionaires. Subsequently, she became an advisor on a private wealth management team that managed over $600 million for a few dozen families. Her career began in asset management with Putnam Investments, a certified financial planner, certified exit planning advisor, SIPA, and an accredited wealth management advisor, Outside of work, she is a spiritual seeker, ravenous to understand why we are here and how to make a meaningful life. I love that, Caitlin. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I I love that um, you have all this background and knowledge and you concentrate in the United States. Is there a reason why you haven't gone globally? Um, I think mostly because we are experts at the tax system here in the U.S. and Mm -hmm. the wealth creation vehicles available. We do have a lot of interest from Canadians and Australians. So I think potentially in the next iteration of theory, we might go um, international. But for now, our bread and butter is, is U.S. regulation. Yeah, I love that. Those taxes are the most fun, aren't they? They keep changing the laws on us. They they keep people employed and they keep us on our toes. So, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Definitely on the toes, <laughs> especially when it comes to tax time, right? Yes. Yes. It is. So, they keep lifelong learners because I feel like I'm constantly reading updated code. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So what made you decide to become a certified financial planner? That's a great question. I, um, when I went into college, I always thought that I was going to be an econ major. Both my dad and my grandfather were in finance. So I pictured myself in finance, but then when I actually got to college, I realized that psychology was by far my favorite topic. So I decided to major in psychology. Um, but then Uh, yeah, I always pictured myself going into finance for a career. And so when I got into asset management with Putnam, 
those mutual funds were sold exclusively through financial advisors. And when I learned what financial advisors did for a living, I thought, what a great combination between my passions with psychology and money. Mm-hmm. And I also just love, I mean, you could tell from my bio, like I'm very mission oriented and I, it's very important for me to have purpose in my career. So the ability to work with money, but do it around family and business owners and, you know, all the things that make life important was very well suited to what I was passionate about. Yeah. And why a certified financial planner? What's the importance of having that in your, having someone like that in your life, especially business owners? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you just have to get trained on so many different aspects of someone's financial life, pretty much everything that someone's financial life touches, we are trained on. So it's, um, you know, investments, taxes, insurance, cash flow management. Um, the SIPA was me going a layer deeper on business owners specifically. So learning how to value a business, what makes a business attractive to a buyer and how that integrates into a holistic financial plan. And I think that the holistic approach of a CFP designation was what really drew me to it. Because when I, when I first got into asset management, usually the designation people go is for their CFA, chartered financial analyst. But I just felt like that was too, too like micro for me. I really enjoy the macro and I don't know how like woo you are, but I you know my human design, I'm a projector. So projectors are usually more high level and more of like the guides. So I only learned that probably within the last two years, but at all, my human design profile makes a lot of sense for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just got my reading. My, one of my clients is human design. Um, and she does my reading and she did a fantastic job because I was introduced to it about a year ago and I was told I was a generator five one. And I was just like, okay, what does that even mean? And the person who gave it to me, like said it so fast. I'd never even absorbed, like didn't even comprehend all of that. So then I had a deeper reading um, and I was like, wow, that's what that means. And seeing the chart and understanding it and how we flow, like there's a lot of things to that. And I'm also a certified aromatherapy practitioner. So using the power of breath and scent and thoughts to rewire our money mindset is my specialty. And it's incredible on what is stored in our subconscious, all stemming from age zero, you know, and some of the, I always say we were never taught finances where we catch them. We we were caught them as we're growing up and, you know, we all grew up with money mantras. What's the money mantra that you grew up with? That's so interesting. I think the one that I subconsciously absorbed was that there was always financial stress Mm. in our household. I could always feel that. And some of my parents' earliest arguments, I remembered being around money and finances. So I think, especially being the oldest child, I just thought, okay, when I grow up, like I'll figure out all the answers and I'll, I'll solve it for everyone. But at the same time, I, so I remember financial stress but we were also never denied anything. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to go to a boarding school, whatever ice hockey camp I wanted to go to. It was always, there was never a scarcity mindset whenever we asked for something, especially if it was for personal development or athletic development or academic development, we could always do it. So we were never told no, including like what college to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I got an 80% scholarship to go to boarding school, but then I didn't get a scholarship to go to college. And I still went to the college that I was recruited to. Whereas I think a lot of families would have said, oh, we can't afford that. I was mm-hmm. never told that. And my brother and sister were never told that either. So it's really interesting because I grew up with this aspirational side, which I think is resonates so deeply for entrepreneurs. I think they're naturally optimistic and aspirational, but at the same time, I think I physically and subconsciously absorbed stress. Like we were always living beyond our means and there was always just kind of that push and pull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so many families have that. And it's interesting because you said your dad was in finances. So you think that money would have been like in an abundance and there would have been, you know, wonderful conversations about it. So thinking about money as a person, how would you describe your relationship? Um, yeah, it's so interesting. My dad and my grandfather were both in finance, but not in the capacity that I am. So my dad was in like the operations and data management side of finance. And my grandfather was a venture capitalist. And interestingly, neither of them were very personally financially savvy. And we actually have all of our clients take the Enneagram. And I think it's so informative. So I am an Enneagram three. And so I do really well with like goals and challenges. And so the way I interpreted how to respond to my environment growing up was I was going to push myself to master it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think that my brother can be a bit more like my dad, which is a tendency to like put your head in the sand because if you're not paying attention to it, then it's not there. And then for my sister, I think she gets a little bit more of that scarcity, like that creeps in for her quite a bit Mm -hmm. where she feels like, you know, she has her career, but she's always working like a second job. And um, so, yeah, it's so interesting. Like the three of us grew up in the same household, yet we respond so differently. Um, And so I think for me, you know, school also came very easily to me. So getting all these designations was like second nature. Um, it actually, this loops back to the human design. So I'm a one, three projector. So that one line, which actually I share with you is like going deep on a topic and mastering it and becoming the authority on it. That has always felt very natural to me. So that's how I responded to it. And I think also for that one line, having a strong foundation and in information is very comforting for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you think about money as a person, what's your most favorite thing to do with money? My most favorite thing to do with money? Um, Well, invest it. (laughs) That's definitely one of my favorite things. I think my favorite thing to do with money is be intentional Mm -hmm. about it. And uh, one thing that I love about Profit First is the whole idea of giving every dollar a job. Mm-hmm. And I think when you give every dollar a job, that's your way of honoring those dollars and not being thoughtless about it. So yeah, I think just being intentional about money and knowing that, okay, if I'm going to spend this money on a coffee with oat milk, like I'm going to enjoy it because mm-hmm. I'm very intent. This is not just a thoughtless thing that I am doing. I'm putting dollars here because it's giving me this reward and I'm putting dollars into my 401k plan because I'm taking care of my future self. So I think just having intention around money is my favorite thing. And that translates into different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And creates that ripple effect. 
and always having that security of knowing that you're sitting in abundance, right? More money is coming and you're doing beautiful things with it. When you think about your challenges um, with money as a, you know, you're in the financial world, what's your biggest challenge that you personally have had with money? Um, scarcity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think being an entrepreneur, a lot of times you are, Um, you have to be your own best cheerleader from the start. And that can be very hard in the beginning when you don't, let's say like have consistent paychecks coming in, um, being able to manage your emotions and persevere and stay consistent and stay the course. um, That has been challenging at times. And I think, you know, even though we're well on our way to seven figures and, I don't know if this, the phrase like new level, new devil, but I do think like scarcity always creeps in every now and again. And I can sometimes catch you off guard because it might not be in the way that it used to catch mm-hmm. you off guard. Um, but yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to continue to do the internal work because mm-hmm. everything is dynamic. Life is dynamic. Money is dynamic. And if you do a good job at managing the internal side of things that helps you navigate those things much better. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great answer. And <laughs> when we think about, you know, our thoughts are the most powerful tool that we have, especially when it comes to finances. And it's so easy for us just to swipe the card and, you know, tap in the numbers to get what we want. And then when the bill comes, we're like, what, why did, what, what's this balance? I don't understand that. And <laughs> what do you mean I have to pay this bill? And that scarcity mindset definitely takes over. When you think about your, your subconscious thoughts, I like that you're in the woo and I love that you do human design as well. I I'm trying to think of you, you're saying that because I'm a generator of five one and I'm thinking I, the one is what you had described it as. That's the same for all the human design. Is that true or Yes. So the first line in your profile is the conscious line. And the second line is the unconscious line. So for me, my one line is conscious. So it's very much how I identify. So like my skill set and the value that I can add and all the certifications, that is very much how I see myself and see my personality. For you, it's more unconscious. Um, So it could just be how you act and operate in the world, but at a subconscious level. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And yeah. so I think it's a really nice piece to know about yourself, especially as an entrepreneur, because so many times entrepreneurs will hire coaches and they won't feel like they're getting a great ROI because they're not, do, they didn't get what they came for. Right. And a lot of times it's because they're in this situation where here's the, here's the template, here's the steps. This is the SOP that you follow. Now, now go make six, seven figures. And they're like, in a scarcity mindset like this isn't going to work. And, you know, knowing your human design really helps that, well, wait a minute, this is a great idea, but let me tweak it and make it my own and show up in my business the way I want to. I know when I, one of the things that I do is create customized, you know, wealth activation roadmaps for my clients. And they're like, well, it's customized. I'm like, yeah, you're not, you don't spend money the same way as, you know, Sally, Sally, the fitness coach, you're going to spend your money completely different. I mean, I have one client, who loves to buy purses. That's what she wants to do with her fun money. That's what you get to do with your fun money. You know, you got it allocated for it. Go buy all the purses you want. She doesn't wear purses. She doesn't carry them. <laughs> she just likes to have them. <laughs> Power to you, you know? And then, then I have client, clients who just love ice cream and they just, their fun money goes for ice cream sundaes of all sorts. 
And I, it's fun because when we get to enjoy the money the way we want to, it makes a completely different, gives us a completely different perspective. And then we start to spend differently and wiser. But one of the things that I see, and you probably see this too, is the investment strategy. So mm. many people are afraid to invest. They're afraid, you know, the stock market's going to crash. The annuity is not going to pay out. You know, what would you, what do you say to your clients when they give you that fear? Like, oh no, is this a good investment? I don't know. I don't know about this. Yeah. Well, we fortunately don't get that because we train our clients very well from the start. So we do a ton of education at the beginning of a relationship so that they can manage their expectations over the course of the relationship. And that is one of my, one of my favorite myths to bust about the market is that yes, the market can be volatile and feel volatile, but an analogy that was shared with me very early in my career that I never forgot is that watching the markets is like watching someone walk up a mountain with the yo-yo. (laughs) And so if you zoom in and you're looking at the yo-yo, it's going to feel very erratic and your emotions are going to mirror how erratic that is. And when you think of the yo-yo, that is like CNBC or the Wall Street Journal or I mean any media outlet because media outlets make money from advertisers. So they have to sell sensational stories. They have to get attention. They have to get eyeballs. That's how they survive. So they have to create stories. But when you zoom out, you see investing is really actually someone walking up a mountain with a yo-yo. So the yo-yo can feel real. But then when you take steps back and look at the high level overview, you see, oh, like actually you know, investing in compound interest is one half of a mountain. And the great thing about this is that it's actually so simple, so, Mm -hmm. so simple. And, you know, when you think of like the Wolf of Wall Street or Boiler Room, like the, when you think of Wall Street in the eighties and nineties, it was very transactional, zero sum game. And I'm very proud to see that the industry has shifted towards this more holistic approach um, that's more aligned with clients. And um, and yeah, so investing is actually super, super simple and it rewards consistency through this concept mm-hmm. of dollar, dollar cost averaging. So mm-hmm. if you are consistently putting $1,000 a month into the market and the market drops, you are going to be able to buy more of the market. And then when the market comes back up, you're going to have more shares that are going to expand further. So it's a super simple concept. I think people historically made a lot of money off of making it seem complex, but it's really not that scary when you take a step back and look at it. Yeah. And the education is so important. So curious to know, how do you define financial literacy and why do you believe it's crucial for individuals to understand that? And you had alluded to that. You educate them. You spend a lot of time up front educating them. Oh, um, well, financial literacy is, is not taught in schools. So Mm. a lot of people come into us with a tremendous amount of charged feelings, usually shame, guilt, um, fear. Those are the big emotions that people come in with. And I think it's very much because it's not a part of our educational system. Um, so the financial literacy rate across the country is incredibly low. Uh, and so we want to be part of raising that. And I think that 
I don't know if I can give it necessarily a specific um, answer, but it's more just starting to feel confident and comfortable handling money. Mm -hmm. And I think that that goes, and that's part of the reason why we have long-term relationships with clients, because I think it's very important to hold clients' hands through this topic, because I've been in finance for almost 13 years. Mm -hmm. And after my first summer internship, I wouldn't say I was completely financially literate. I think that it's been, you know, 12, 13 years of exposure that gives me this confidence to be able to handle large amounts of money. Um, you know, in the first, I remember the first time I saw like a million dollars in an account and I was like, Oh my God, I've never seen this much money in my entire life. And now if someone gave me a hundred million dollars, I would know exactly what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So that just comes from, from experience and, um, and that's a big part of our mission is we are taking all of this private wealth knowledge and strategy and expertise and bringing it to female entrepreneurs who would otherwise never get access to this. So mm-hmm. it's baby yeah. steps and we, it's baby steps and we recognize that, that it's not going to be an overnight process. Yeah, no, it's never one and done. That's for sure. And, you know, being in the finance and insurance since 1987, I've seen a lot of changes and there's been a lot of, you know, mishaps and the things that, you know, the market does go up and down and, you know, there are going to be the people that watch it every single day and, and panic. Right. And then there's the people that are steady. It just reminds me of the book that, you know, the turtle and the hare, and it's a really great book to reread and be familiar with, to understand that when you're working with finances, so many women especially come into the entrepreneurial world and think, oh, I'm going to make six figures right off the bat. No, there's going to be times where you're going to have zero months and, you know, working through that money mindset is so important. In your opinion, what are the top three foundational principles of personal finance that everyone should know? So a financial plan is, it's really as basic as answering three questions. The first question is, where are we now? The second question is, where do we want to go? And the third question is, how do we get there? And I think it's very important for people to always have the answer to those three questions. So answering where are we now is based. So let's say that we're hiking a mountain. So if we're hiking a mountain, we need to set up base camp. And so financially speaking, base camp is going to be what's your current net worth. So your assets minus your liabilities. And what's your what does your monthly cash flow look like? I find that a lot of people have no idea what they're spending on a monthly or annual basis. And it's Mm -hmm. very important to know what your numbers are. Um, And, and no one is too good for this. You know, whether you have like a $5 million business or a $50,000 business, or whether you have $50 million in the bank or $5 in the bank, everyone should know what their numbers are. And again, that goes back to the energetics, which is you should be honoring your money. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I think answering that first question, answering the second question, which is what is this money for? Like, where are we trying to go to your point about the fun money? Um, part of the fun of having money is understanding what it's supporting because I went to an event last week where the speaker on stage was saying the day that she made a million dollars was just super anticlimactic. And I think she felt that way because it wasn't tied to anything that actually meant anything to her. It was just Mm -hmm. a number. And then the third one, how do we get there is 
Um, we should be equipped when this money comes in the door to know like, what are we doing with it? Where are we, where is it going? What's the game plan? And again, that's why something like profit first is so great because there's already a game plan Mm -hmm. in place. Absolutely. Can you share insights on investing for beginners and how they should navigate the plethora of options available today? Oh, okay. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, where do we start with that? (laughs) (laughs) So I always say that the cornerstone of wealth management and wealth preservation is diversification. So, um, you know, a lot of the data shows that stock picking is not the optimal way to invest. I, um, I love Vanguard, for example. I think Vanguard was a pioneer in the industry for the consumer's benefit. So, you know, if you just wanted to start by opening account, opening a Vanguard account and sticking money into VTI, for example, um, that's a great example of um, you're getting diversification, you're getting exposure to the overall U.S. stock market, um, and you can start to get your money working for you. Now, I will say that that is, you should be working with an advisor to help you with your specific situation. But if you were biased for action, then that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. It's so important to go to the expert when you're investing your money because so many people try to do it on their own and it's a calculated risk. If it's only calculated if they study the markets, then they know exactly what they're doing. And some people are really good at it, but you know, having the expert, they say that when you hire an expert, you get 30% more on your ROI than doing it on your own. And who doesn't want 30% more? So thank you so much, Caitlin, for sharing your expertise and all the things that you do. What's one tip that you can give our audience that they can take um, with them after they listen to the show and get a tangible result? Um, one tip is that it is free to get clear on your goals. So usually the first goal that we set with clients is the financial freedom goal. And that is as simple as Googling a retirement calculator and figuring out when do I want to be financially independent by how much do I want to spend when I'm financially independent? You can have a, you can have a business bringing in $0 and know what that number is. And the most successful clients are the ones that have that number in the back of their head from day one and are building the company to be in service to them and achieving that number. Again, I think that's why profit first can be so great because it's bringing the business owner back to front and center of Mm -hmm. a company. And so again, that is just a free resource. You can go on and figure out like, what is my number? Um, and then you should be reverse engineering the company to meet that number and Mm -hmm. chances are you'll be successful. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. So everyone listening, go Google that retirement calculator and figure that out. Know your numbers. It's so important. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it. Thanks for tuning into the show. Give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Get ready to activate wealth. 
Be the next millionaire with a simple adjustment of your finances using an energetically aligned money multiplier system. You get to build wealth by partnering with money. It's time to have fun with finances. Pick a date. The link is in the show notes to book your wealth activation call where you will get the one solution to multiply your money. Remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it.